0: If you have your Bible with you, open up to Second Samuel, chapter 11. We've been studying through the book of 2 Samuel. We've come as far as chapter 11. We've been studying, we've been watching as David. We've been traveling with David through his life. The scripture does an amazing job of recording David's life and some positive things, some negative things. And, you know, we remember back when David was ordained or, but, but as king, David was, you know, Saul was king, and Saul was disobedient to the Lord, and David, not ordained, he was anointed as king. So he's anointed as king, but yet there's a period of about 14 years before he actually becomes king of Israel, and during that time, it was a difficult season for him. He lost his family, lost his house, had to, you know, had to be on the run for a number of years in the wilderness, and he eventually defects and actually goes over and joins the Philistines for a while and, and tries to do battle against the Israelites, and, and God prevents that from happening, and then he comes back to Israel, where where Saul and Jonathan are killed and then David becomes the king over Israel. And we've been traveling, we've been watching as he's done this incredible thing he he he, you know he wanted to build a house for God he saw that he's living in a house of cedar he looks out and he sees you know the ark of the covenant is living in a tent and he wants to do that and the Lord won't allow that but the Lord promises him I'm going to bless your family you know your family your lineage will continue and ultimately it was the promise of the Messiah to come through the line of David and now we come to chapter 11 and chapter 11 is it's a tragic chapter in the scripture as a matter of fact I, I, I wish it wasn't there but I'm glad it's there uh, and, and what I mean by that is I, I really don't like teaching this chapter. You know, for, for a man after God's own heart, tonight we're going to, we're going to expose David's humanity. We're going to expose the, the path that sin can take in somebody's life. We're going to see the consequences that, sin can, take in, that can, sin can have in somebody's life. And while I love the fact that the Bible preserves the truth, I... This is a tough chapter to read. I mean, David's a man after God's own heart, but there's gonna be some atrocities that are committed here. And what we'll find out as we continue studying through the book of 1 Samuel, although there's severe consequences that David will pay, God's going to redeem some of this as well. And there'll be be some good that comes out of it. But let's pick up in chapter 11, verse one. It happened in the spring of the year at the time when kings go out to battle that David sent Joab and his servants with him and all Israel they destroyed the people of Ammon and besieged Rabbah but David remained at Jerusalem then it happened one evening when David arose from his bed and walked on the roof of the king's house and from the roof he saw a woman bathing and the woman was very beautiful to behold So David sent, and he inquired about the woman, and someone said, Is this not Bathsheba, the daughter of Eliam, the wife of Uriah the Hittite? Then David sent messengers and took her, and she came to him, and he lay with her, for she was cleansed from her impurity, and she returned to her house. Did you catch what just happened? In just four quick verses, we see a man after God's own heart falls to the sin of adultery. He literally, we just, we see it take place for just four short verses. We see what's taking place, but I want to spend a little time tracking the course that led to this fall, because I think it's important. And while we can look at David and go, David, that's stupid. Why would you possibly, why would you ever, what's wrong with you? What, what are you thinking, David? Why would you do something like that? You know, here's what I know that we're all sinful people. And the track that we're going to see sin take in David's life is the same track that it will take in our life. You see, when we read this scripture, I want you to notice in chapter 11, verse 1, it happened in the spring of the year, at the time when kings go out to battle. Where was David? It says at the end of verse 1, but David remained at Jerusalem. Where where was David? He stayed home. He sent his men out to battle. He sent his people out to battle. Matter of fact, he sent all Israel out to battle. You know what that means? That means all the men went except for him. So he stays at home. He's he's there minding the city. David should have been out in battle with his men. He's in a place that he shouldn't have been. Listen, sin will grab hold of you if you find yourself in a place that you shouldn't be. When it's time to go to battle, you need to go to battle. If you are right now in your life in a place that you shouldn't be, if you're in doing something you shouldn't be doing, must you, you must take heed, take caution of the warning that David's going to lay out for us. You see, part of the reason that I'm glad this chapter is here is because there's a tremendous warning. But part of the reason I don't really like this chapter is because I see a hero in the faith fall in sin, in the sin of adultery. Now, I want to share something with you. David's sin, while we read it here in these first four chapters, it does or these four, first four verses, it didn't start here. It didn't start here. You say, Rob, where did it start? There's no chapter 0. 0.5. It had to be. No, no. David was a man who had a problem with lust. You say, Rob, how could you say such a thing? He had eight wives. He had eight wives. Seven. The Bible speaks of eight wives. It names eight of them. He may have had more. So David's a man who had a problem with lust. He's a man who had a problem. One woman wasn't enough for him. He wanted more. We see that. And, and here it, it clearly portrays itself. This type of thing, this lust, this, this thing that he's drawn to in regards to women started a long time ago. It's a seed that was planted a long time ago and it was left to grow. It wasn't rooted out. It wasn't pulled out. It was left to fester and it was left to grow. And what we see taking place in chapter 11 tonight is the fruit that this seed of lust is finally bearing and how, 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 how bitter it actually is. You see in chapter 11, verse one, he should have been out to battle, but he's not. And then I want to take a close look at this. Look at chapter two. Then it happened one, or I'm sorry, verse two. Then it happened one evening That David arose from his bed and he walked on the roof of the king's house. One evening, it's later in the evening, and it says he arose from his bed, which means he was in bed and he couldn't sleep. Why couldn't he sleep? Because he was in a place where he shouldn't have been, right? He should have been out with his men, but because he's not where he's supposed to be, he's at home and he can't sleep. So he gets up, he's up on the rooftop, and he walked on the roof of the king's house. That word for walked, it means walking. It's, it means pacing. It means going back and forth. He's wandering back and forth, looking around from the rooftop. He's looking. He's looking. He's back and forth, back and forth. He's pacing. And from the roof, what does he see? He sees Bathsheba. We know she's her name's Bathsheba. She's a woman bathing she's a woman bathing. He's on his rooftop. He's looking out over the city. If I, you know, I can kind of picture this in my mind because I've been to the city of David. I've been to Israel. I know it is. It's on a point. So all these houses would have been built on the side of a, on, on the side of a mountain, if you will. And he's sitting there looking out over the rooftop and he sees her, he sees her bathing. He sees her bathing. Now, he had the, the seed of lust, this root of lust in his life. That was his propensity for sin. He has it. And then what takes place is the temptation comes, doesn't it? The temptation comes. He's not where he's supposed to be, which weakens him. So instead, when he now he gets up in the middle of the night, he's walking around and the temptation starts his way. You see, the, the problem wasn't that he saw Bathsheba. The problem wasn't that he noticed Bashi, but the problem wasn't that he saw her. The problem was it says that he beheld her. He continued to look at her. He continued to gaze at her. He continued to stare at her. He walked on the roof of the king's house and from the roof he saw a woman bathing and the woman was very beautiful to behold. You know, it wasn't one of those things where, he, oh, I shouldn't be looking at that. And he turned her away, I need to go back in the house. No, no, that wasn't the case at all. It was a, whoa, what's that over there? Oh, what's she doing? Oh, look, I think she's taking a bath. His lust went to temptation. His lust went to temptation, and now he's in a place that he shouldn't be. The temptation is right before his eyes. Now, I want to pause just for a moment and say, listen, David's dealing with sexual sin. That's his temptation. That's his downfall. That's the the lust of of women. That's what's grabbed hold of him, okay? But this same process, it's the same no matter what sin somebody's dealing with. Okay, it's the same thing. You'll fall, you know, you might look at this thing and go, well, it doesn't affect me. That's not me. No, no. If you, I know because you have, a, you have flesh that there's a propensity for sin in your life, and the temptation will come the exact same way. If you find yourself in a place that you shouldn't be in, you're going to find yourself facing temptation. And then what you do with it next is going to depend on the outcome of it, just like it does for David. You see, David's wandering on the roof because he can't sleep. He can't sleep because I believe he's supposed to be out at battle. And as he walks around, he notices a woman, and it tells us that she's beautiful, and he beholds her. She's beautiful to behold. And then he does something. It it progresses. It progresses further. It goes from lust to temptation. He should have cut it off right there. What does the Bible say about temptation? What does the Bible say about sexual temptation? It's very, very clear. 1 Corinthians 6.18 says, flee sexual immorality. What should he have done? He should have gone down the steps, back to the room, and, and not looked at that way anymore. And he should have told, because he's the king, he should have said, "Now, nah, so go tell her to put her curtains down. Go tell her to put something in her window so nobody can see her anymore. Go tell her to straighten it." That's not what he did. That's not what he did. And, and the guys can understand. They go, "Yeah, she, she was an attractive girl. She, he didn't know. She didn't know. She didn't know that he was watching, or did she? Don't you think you know where your window faces?" Ladies, don't you know where your windows face? Don't you know what, 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 where, what vantage point? And you know that if it's time, I need to close my windows if I'm going to get changed. Otherwise, somebody could see me. You, need to, you know, the scripture here is very clear. She's not without fault in this. She's not without fault. She, she's, you know, his response doesn't excuse anything. But there's some, some things with her, too, because she knows that where her window faces. You don't think that you know that your window faces the king's house? The king's, the king's palace, of course you would know something like that. So now, his temptation, instead of fleeing, oh, by the way, do you think it's possible to be tempted beyond what you can handle? You, you, you go, maybe you're just thinking, you know, Rob, David, man, he's a man. And, and you know, she says she's a beautiful woman, and there she is bathing, and, and you know, he just couldn't handle it. He had, he, it. It was just impossible for him. He couldn't, there's nothing he could do. I mean, it, it, anybody would have done that. That's not true. That's not true. I want you to turn with me real quick. I want you to turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse, t- verses 12 and 13. Because this is important as we deal with our own temptations. Verse 12 says this, Therefore let him who thinks he stands take heed lest he fall. Look at verse 13. No temptation has overtaken you. No temptation has overtaken you except such as is common to man. It means everyone else has a temptation too. But God is faithful, who will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able, but with the temptation will also make the way of escape that you may be able to bear it. Let me read that again no temptation has overtaken you except such as is common to man but god is faithful who will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able but with the temptation he will also make a way of escape that you will be able to bear it underline it circle it mark it in your bible it's a verse you're going to need to come back to did david have a choice here you bet he did you bet he did how do we know they had a choice because the bible tells us they had a choice Does it mean that David's not following God anymore? No, it doesn't mean that at all. It means he's having a a lapse of character. He's having a a bad moment. He's on the house. He's walking around. He sees Bathsheba. It went from lust to temptation. Now it's contemplation in his mind. He's contemplating about it. He's contemplating. And then look what he does. So David sent, in verse 3, David sent and he inquired about the woman. He went and talked about it. He, went, he, got, he got the guys that are with him. The guys, hey, who's the girl over there? I was out up on the roof. I couldn't sleep. And I saw my neighbor. And she's in the bathroom. And she's beautiful. Who is that? Who is that? Who is that woman over there? And someone said, they don't name who it was. Because I'm sure the description. He, they, oh, I, we know who she is. We know, we, know, we know where she is. We know where she lives. We know who lives there. And they said this about her. Is this not Bathsheba? the daughter of Eliam, the wife of Uriah, the Hittite. So just picture it. Here comes David. He's down talking to the guys. Hey, I was on the roof and I saw this girl over there and she's in the bathtub, this woman, and she is beautiful. Who is this? Now, I personally believe he already knew who it was. I think he was just trying to act like he didn't know who it was. I think David knew exactly who it was. You know who your neighbors are. You know who's in the line of sight from your house. You know who they are. It's not like they just moved in last week. I mean, this is not, this is not new. I think he knew exactly who she was. And let me tell you why I think that. Because it says this. It says, is this not Bathsheba, the daughter of Eliam, the wife of Uriah the Hittite? Listen, those are people that are important to David. Well, who's Eliam and who's Uriah? Just turn a few pages to the right. Turn to 2 Samuel chapter 23. The end of 2 Samuel 23, it's, it's one of these genealogies. It's got all the names in it. And these are the part we all skip when we read the Bible, right? We can't pronounce them. We're not going to read them. It doesn't make any sense, right? We just skip right over. But I want to show you some. Look at verse 34. Look at the last half of verse 34. Eliam, the son of Ahithophel, the Gilanite. Now look down to 39. And Uriah, the Hittite, 37 in all. Well, there's their names again. Well, what is this, list? this list is a this list. Is a, is a, is a list of David's top 30 men. The leaders in his army. His top 30, it says 37 in all. His top 37 men. This is them. He knew exactly who Eliam was. He knew that Eliam was a leader in his army. He knew that Eliam had a daughter named Bathsheba and he certainly knew who Uriah was because Uriah was his neighbor. I don't believe for a minute that you get to move next to the king without knowing who the king is. So I think this root, I think this this sin is a lot closer to home than it even appears. I think David, this is, David's, this is David's friend. David's about 50 years old now. This is possibly a much younger woman, Bathsheba, at this point. This is not something that just happened by chance. This is something that's. I believe this seed of lust has been brewing, it's been building, it's been growing inside of David for a long time. And now the opportunity presents itself because he's home alone. All the other men. Where's Uriah? He's out fighting David's battles. He's out fighting for David. So he asked the guys, who's this woman? Describes her. Oh, we know who that is. That's Bathsheba. That's that's Eliam's daughter. You know, she's married to Uriah the Hittite. It went from lust. It went from temptation. It went to contemplation. And then it left his mind when he started talking about it and it started to go into action. You see, sometimes our sin is up here in our mind. It's just running around in our head, right? It just runs around and runs around and runs. And, and here's where it gets dangerous is when it starts to come out. When you begin to verbalize it, when you begin to take action towards it, when you begin to do something about it. Now, it's dangerous up here. Don't get me wrong. But when it comes out is when you're starting to act on it. You're start, it's no longer just a thought. It's no longer just a, a fantasy. It's something that I am now going to begin living. In David's case, it's sexual immorality. What is the sin that so easily ensnares you in the case tonight we see it it's sexual so he starts to talk about it he asks his friends about it and then he says he took action then david sent messengers and took her and she came to him and he laid with her now the the language there and bible scholars would tell us is is perfectly clear that what's happening is he goes and he asks her and she willingly comes You know, some might be tended to, you might have a tendency to think, oh, he's the king, she has to come. No, no, the language there in the original Greek indicates that she's willing to come. She's a willing participant in all this. So I want to just back up. We've seen this a little bit from David's perspective, and we've covered how he's, you know, this lust has grown into temptation, it's talked about contemplation, this discussion, this action starts to take place, and now we see completion. He's done it. He's done the unthinkable. He went and got her. She agreed, and they laid together. They committed sexual immorality. They committed adultery. She's married. So is he. He's got seven wives already, at least, that we know of. She's married. He's married. They commit adultery. Now, I want to pause and just talk about her for a minute. Did she have anything to do with this? Absolutely, she did. She knew exactly which way her window faced. She knew exactly what would be, who could see in that window when she's taking a bath. And I'm, I'm envisioning as a window. We don't know exactly what it was. The Bible says he was on the rooftop. They don't tell you where her position was. But she knew this was going to take place. Now, why is that important for us? It's not her fault. It's not his fault. They both had a part in it. They both had a part in it, and it's important that we realize that we can play a part in somebody else's sin if we're not careful. Did you know that you can play a part in somebody else's sin if you are not careful? Maybe willingly, maybe unwillingly. Maybe it was her goal all along to try to get the king to see her and call her and invite her over. Maybe it wasn't her willing. Maybe it wasn't her goal, but maybe it just happened. And she thought, "Well, my husband's out of town. Maybe I'll go with it. Nobody's going to know. He's the king." He's the king. Either way, it took both of them to do this. But I suspect that this has been on David's mind for a long time. And I suspect this is just the opportunity that's presented itself for it, to, for it to play out. So what takes place is they lay together and we find that she's done with her impurity and she what happens afterwards? She goes home. She returns home. She goes back on, she she heads back to the house. Now Look at verse five, and the woman conceived, so she sent and told David and said, I am with child. That's the bombshell that comes off. David, David, send word to David. David, king, guess what? I'm pregnant. That's a problem, you know why it's a problem? Because my husband's not here. As a matter of fact, you're the only guy in town probably. (laughs) We don't know that, that's my speculation. I'm pregnant. The language there indicates she's telling him the problem so that he can do something about it. She's trying to cover it up like he's trying to cover it up. They're trying to cover up this affair. They're trying to cover up this adulterous affair that they had. And he's going to oblige. Look what he says in verse 6. Then David sent to Joab saying, Send me Uriah. That's her husband, remember? Send me Uriah the Hittite. And Joab sent Uriah to David. When Uriah had come to him, David asked how Joab was doing and how, how the people are doing and how the war prospered. So David says, all right, listen, just send, send a word to Joab, send Uriah to me. So Uriah is called home from battle. And he comes in and David says, well, how are things going, Uriah? Face to face with the guy, just his wife. He's bearing his child now face-to-face face with them. What's going on, Uriah? How, how, how's things going at war? And David says in verse 8, says to Uriah, go on down to your house, wash your feet. So Uriah departed from the king's house and a gift of food from the king followed him. But Uriah slept at the door of the king's house with all the servants of his lord and did not go down to his house. Uriah, what are you doing? You're ruining my plan here. So David says, I got it all figured out. I know what I'm going to do. I'm going to call Uriah home from the battlefield. He's been away from his wife for a while. I'm sure he'll want to be intimate. I'll send some food down there. They'll be intimate. She'll turn up pregnant. He'll think it's his. She won't tell anybody, and the problem is solved. Why are they covering this up, by the way? What's the penalty for adultery in the Old Testament? death for both of them right death for both of them so they're trying to cover it up he's got a plan he calls Uriah home hey buddy how's the battle going yeah how you guys doing are you doing okay good yeah wish I could be with you guys but there's so much king stuff for me to do here you know I'm just I got all these emails I have to answer and I'm text messages and I got to keep up my Facebook account I mean what could he possibly be doing there didn't have any of that stuff uh, Uriah, I know, you just go on back down and here, take some food with you, go hang out with your wife and, and, and go on and spend the night with her and, 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 and have a good time, Uriah. And look what he does. Uriah slept at the door of the king's house. Uriah doesn't go down. He sleeps outside of the palace, to the castle, the palace door. He sleeps outside with the other servants. And they tell David in verse 10, so it was told David and they said, Uriah didn't go down to his house. So David says to Uriah, didn't you come from a journey? Why did you not go down to your house? Again, David's being manipulative. Haven't you been going away? Why didn't you go down, Uriah? And Uriah said to David, look at verse verse 11. The ark and Israel and Judah are dwelling in tents. My lord Joab and the servants of my lord are encamped in open fields. Shall I then go to my house to eat and to drink, to lie with my wife? As you live and as your soul lives, I will not do this thing. Wow. Talk about character. Talk about Uriah. Uriah's got it. He's, I'm not going down with my wife. My friends, my, my leader, they're out sleeping in tents. They're out at battle. I'm not going down and enjoy the luxuries of life. What do you think that did to David? Where's he, what's he doing right now? He's got his feet up watching Sports Center or whatever he was watching back then. He's, he's relaxing in the castle. I'm not going to battle. I'm, I'm 50. Let the, let the younger guys go do that. Boy, he's got a problem now. He met a guy with integrity. He met a guy who's not going to buy into his plan. He met a guy who's not just going to do what he says. He said, I'm not, no, I'm, I'm not, I'm not going to indulge myself like that. He met a guy who's got control of his flesh and says, I can do without. And I'm willing to do without because my rest of my countrymen are doing without. So David says in verse 12, he says to Uriah, wait here today, also and tomorrow, and I'll let you depart. So Uriah remained in Jerusalem that day and the next Now, in verse 13, when David called him, he ate and he drank before him, and he made him drunk. And at evening, he went out to lie on his bed with the servants of his Lord. That's Uriah, goes out to lie on his bed. But he did not go down to his house. So David figures, all right, I got another shot at this. Uriah, why don't you come on up to my table? Eat with me tonight. Drink the wine that I'm drinking. And what's he do? He gets Uriah drunk, figuring What? If he's drunk, he's going to want to go see his wife, right? So he's going to to hang out with us. He's going to have a little, we're going to enjoy a good meal, you know, and then he's definitely going to go home after this. But Uriah doesn't budge. He goes right back out to the doorstep, right back out to his bed there with the servants of the king. He doesn't move. Now, on a side note, why did he get him drunk? Why would he get him drunk? Alcohol lowers your resistance of moral fortitude alcohol will lower your resistance of moral fortitude it'll lower your inhibition why it's even back then they knew you could do things stupid when you were drunk that you wouldn't do when you weren't drinking they they knew it back then this is the plan of David but Uriah in his integrity and his character he doesn't go David's got a big problem now doesn't he now i got a big problem. I've called him home from battle. I've tried to send him home twice. He won't go. His wife, my new girlfriend's pregnant. I'm going to lose everything if it gets found out, right? I'm going to lose my, I can't be king. They're going to want to stone me. I'm, I'm, I'm supposed to be this man of God. I can't possibly get found out. I know, I know. Listen, when you start down this path, do you know it only gets worse? He'd have been a lot better off owning up and being honest at this point but he's gone too far. He can't back up. He's stuck. It's gone too far. And look what he does. In the morning, in verse 14, it happened that David wrote a letter to Joab and he sent it by the hand of Uriah. And he wrote in the letter saying, set Uriah in the forefront of the hottest battle and retreat from him that he may be struck down and die. So it was while Joab besieged the city that he assigned Uriah to a place where he knew there were valiant men. Then the men of the city came out and they fought with Joab and some of the people of the servants of David fell and Uriah the Hittite died also. Did you catch what happened? What did David do? Adultery led to murder. No, he didn't, he might not have swung the sword, but he certainly gave the order to have him murdered, didn't he? He certainly gave the order. Listen, he says to Joab, notice he sends a letter. With who? With Uriah. Hey, Uriah, will you take this letter back to Joab? He trusted Uriah so much that he carried his own death threat, his own death message, to never look at it. To never look, what would you have done? I might have peeked in there and see what it said. Now, I know they might have sealed it with a signet ring and things like that, So Uriah became the messenger of his own death sentence because David trusted that he wouldn't read it. So he carries it to Joab. Joab reads it. Now, what do you think Joab's thinking about David's character right now? Oh, oh, I see how this works. You're a man of God, but you want me to do your dirty work. And Joab responds. He says, yeah, I'll do it. Puts Uriah up on the front lines. All right, come on, guys, back up. And Uriah gets slain, gets killed. Gets killed right there. David's lust for women, his failure to obey God's original command of one wife, one wife, monogamous relationship, one wife, David, it's played out in his multiple wives, and then here it's played out in the temptation, the contemplation, the discussion or the action that he has about her, the completion of it, and ultimately the consequences of it. Right? The consequences of David's sin, it, it, the most obvious is what? Uriah's dead. It, it, it led to murder. That's a terrible consequence of it. This corrupt seed of lust was sown a long time ago. And it grew unchecked in David's life. Never worried about it. Always fed it, watered it, fertilized it. It grew unchecked. And now it's bearing the bitter, the bitterest of all fruit from adultery to murder. Just picture it. He, the, This seed started growing in his life a long time ago, this seed of lust, and he never dealt with it. He just kept feeding it. He kept watering it, kept adding to it. He's king. If he wants it, he took it, just got it. Need another wife and this wife and that wife. And before you know it, Bathsheba. Oh, now I got her pregnant. Now what do I do? That's all right. I'm king. I'll just call Uriah home. I'll send him home from battle. I'll I'll look like it's his child when he's got too much integrity to go do that. He hasn't has him killed. Scratch your head and go, this is a man after God's own heart. Are you serious? This is this is him. This is how bad it can be. Isn't God's mercy wonderful? Now. In verse. Verse. 18, it says, Then Joab sent and told David all the things concerning the war, and he charged the messengers, saying, When you have finished telling the matters of the war to the king, if it happens that the king's wrath rises and he says to you, Why did you approach so near to the city when you fought? Did you not know they would shoot from the wall? Who struck Abimelech, the son of Jerubasheth? Was it not a woman who cast a piece of millstone on him from the wall so that he died in Thebes? Why did you go near the wall? If he says that to you then you shall say your servant Uriah the Hittite is dead also. Did you catch what Joab did? Joab said listen we're going to send a messenger back to King David and we're going to tell him that we're not doing so good in the battle. And he's going to he's he's going to have a tendency how did he know that, jo, that David would say this because this is what David would always say. What were you what were you dumb you got so close to the wall they were throwing rocks at you? You know you can't get that close to the wall. We've been through this. It's happened before. We know it Abimelech died that way. We know this has happened. You can't do this. But he says, as David's anger rises, as he gets mad, as he really pours it out to you, you just look at him and you tell him Uriah is dead. And that'll make everything all better. You see, Joab knew exactly what David was doing. He, Joab knew that he was used by David to kill Uriah. Just tell him Uriah is dead. And that's exactly what takes place. So the messenger went in verse 22, came and told David all that Joab had sent by him. The messenger said to David, Surely the men prevailed against us and they came out to us in the field and then we drove them back as far as the entrance to the gate. The archer shot from the wall at your servants and some of your king's servants are dead. And your servant Uriah the Hittite is dead also. Rather than being angry, David says in verse 25, David said to the messenger, thus you shall say to, thus you shall say to Joab, don't let this thing displease you. For the sword devours one as, as well as another. Strengthen your attack against the city and overthrow it. So encourage him. So what he says is Joab's plan works. Listen, just tell, it's okay. It's war. People are going to die. Don't worry about it. Just go, go encourage him. Strengthen your attack. You, you guys can do this. Totally not David's normal response, but what David wanted to accomplish was accomplished because now Uriah is out of the way. Verse 26, when the wife of Uriah heard that Uriah, her husband, was dead, she mourned for her husband, the allotted time, the time that would normally be mourned. And when her mourning was over, David sent and brought her to his house, and she became his wife, and she bore him a son. And look at that last sentence of chapter 11, but the thing that David had done displeased the Lord. The thing that don't, make, don't think for a moment That just because David's after a man, he's a man after God's own heart, don't think for a moment that God is looking the other way. Don't think for a moment that God is allowing him to get away with anything. After this, what takes place are the consequences for David's sin. The consequences for David's sin. You see, David was in a place where he shouldn't have been. He sees something he shouldn't have seen. He asks questions that he shouldn't have asked. And he does something that he shouldn't have done. And it's going to bring about the consequences of his sin. And I want to just summarize for you what those consequences are. Obviously, the death of one of his men, Uriah. What else are the consequences of his sins? There's an unwanted pregnancy there, right? She wasn't wasn't planning to get pregnancy, The murder of a trusted friend in Uriah. Uriah's now dead, was a trusted friend. What we're going to see is the baby that she's going to bear is going to die. You're going to have a dead baby. You're going to have David's daughter raped by David's son. You're going to have one son murder another son. You're going to have a civil war in Israel led by one of his sons. You're going to have a son who who imitates David's lack of of self-control leading his life. That's Solomon when he gets 700 wives. You're going to have... One thing after another, because here's what I want you guys to understand. If this thing of lust in your life, if it's left unchecked, it will bear bitter fruit. And let me share you, or let me tell you a secret. It will never be satisfied. You can never satisfy lust in your life. Every, every time you get that very thing that you want, you're going to want something else. It's going to take you a little bit further and a little bit further and a little bit further and a little bit further each time. It will never be satisfying to you. It'll never be satisfying to you, no matter what. The corrupt seeds that are sown in your life, if, they're not, if they go unchecked, they will bear this type of bitter fruit. We get to see this play out in the long haul. We get to see it from the beginning with his multiple wives. Obviously, there's a problem there. And it travels all the way through his life and leads him to be an adulterer, a murderer. And ultimately, it's displeasing to God. It's displeasing to God. God doesn't, God doesn't like this. The thing that David has done displeased the Lord, and it is going to cause so much hardship in his family. God's promise will ring true about his family. We know that from history. But the hardship that David is going to bear because of this is going to be unbelievable. It will continue that way. So here's what I want to challenge you with tonight. We see this in David's life. We see this as lust, as sexual immorality. But lust can take on many forms in our life, can it? You know, for one, it might be sexual immorality, a sexual type lust. For one, you could be lusting after, for another, it could be a, a relational type lust. You're lusting after a relationship. For another, it could be a lusting after food. For another, it could be a lusting after money or lusting after power. You know, lust can take on a number of forms in our life. So if you're sitting there tonight and you go, well, I don't have a sexual problem, you know, that I, I, I mean, that's too bad for David. I can't believe it. I would challenge you to say, where is, where is, it, where is your shortcoming? Where is the thing that draws you? What, what is the thing that you do that displeases the Lord? Take a look at that seed in your life and see what is, it, what is it growing? How far is it gone? How much has it been watered? How much has it been fertilized? And it's time to pull that weed. Because if you let it go, it's going to produce some of these horrible things just like we did in David, just like it did in David's life. I don't know about you, but I don't want those things, but I also understand that I'm human, and I need the grace of God. And we will also see that no matter the fact that all it's, it's terrible. And as horrendous and as violent and as vicious as this is in David's life, God's not done using him yet. God's not done with him yet. He's still one of the greatest men of faith of all time. And he, he remains that. He's the greatest king that Israel has ever had. Besides, when, until they've realized that Jesus Christ was the Messiah. He remains that. It's an amazing thing. Notice where lust begins. I think it begins in your mind. It begins in your mind. It begins in those thoughts that you're thinking. It's those, those, those thoughts that you don't want somebody else to know. You, don't, you, don't, you wouldn't dare share them with anybody. You see, the problem began, again, long ago, and I want you guys to understand that. It began with the lust in his mind. It began that the lust that was, it'd be satisfied if I got another wife and another wife and another wife. It'd be satisfied if I had another husband, or I had a different wife, or if I, you know, if I had somebody that loved me and that cared, then it would be satisfied if I could only get married, or if I could only have kids, or if I could only lose weight, or if I could only get stronger, no matter, there's always going to be something, and I can promise you when you get there, I could get a better job, I could make a little bit more money, then I'd be out of the hole. No, you wouldn't, because you'd buy more stuff that you can't afford to pay for. Manage the money that you have before you worry about getting more money. You see, because it, 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 it destroys you. It, it'll, it'll, it'll never let go of you until you pull it out. It's going to keep dragging you in and dragging you in. And, and what you think is you, know, if, if you Maybe you'll just get a promotion at work. Just make a little more money and then I'll be okay. No, you won't. You'll get the promotion. You know what you'll want? Another promotion. You'll go buy a new car. You'll go buy something else. That you, you, you'll, you'll, you'll spend it. You'll, you'll need it. Understand. That's the ways of the world. If you follow the flesh, you will reap of the flesh. As followers of Jesus Christ, we should be sowing to the spirit, not to the flesh. When I sow to the spirit, when you sow to the spirit, we are pursuing the things of God, not the things of man, not the things of the flesh. Pursuing godliness, pursuing, you know, prayer, pursuing the word, pursuing to be more like Jesus, not pursuing those desires of our flesh. And let me tell you, how do I say no to my flesh? is it hard? Yeah, it's hard. How do you do it? You just do it. You say, no, I'm not going to do it. It's not pleasing to God. It's not, do do you want to do things that aren't pleasing to God? I don't. I want to do things that are pleasing to God. So I have to say no to my flesh sometimes. So do you. But what if we don't say no? What if we go ahead and we indulge and Rob, this is pretty bad. I haven't killed anybody yet and I haven't committed adultery. Well, David had neither to this point. I want to just remind you of something because there's a tendency when we read this to go, I would never, ever, ever do something like that. I don't know if you caught it, but when I read 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 12, it says this, therefore let him who thinks he stands take heed lest he fall. That means the, pers- the, the very thing that you think, that's not a problem for me. The very thing that you think, ah, I, I would never do something like that. Take heed lest you fall because that's where Satan will come in and he'll come after you. That's where he's going to come after you just because your guard's down there. You know, you know where your problems are. That's where you're fighting. That's where you're, that's where you're protecting. That's the wall that I'm, I'm defending. This wall, no, nah, that, that's not my problem. I, I'd, never, I'd never give in to Satan over there. I bet David thought he'd never do what he did. And we're going to find that out. We're gonna, that, that he really didn't realize what he had done. It just happened because he sowed seeds to the flesh. He began following the flesh, doing what the flesh wanted. Therefore, let him who thinks he stands take heed lest he fall. But remember, no temptation has overtaken you except such as is common to man. We all struggle with temptation. It's part of our it's part of life. We, you, will, you will struggle with temptation. You will have temptation. But understand something, you don't have to give in to temptation. You can overcome temptation. If you do give in to temptation, you still have grace. Grace is for falling, not for jumping. We don't give in to the temptation. But and I love this, but and God is faithful. God's faithful who will not allow you, it means you can't be tempted beyond what you're able. But with temptation, he will always make a way of escape so that you might be able to bear it. No matter what temptation you're in, there's always a way out. There's always a way out. What would have David's way out have been? At any given point, he could have bailed out. He could have gone off the roof and gone back to bed, but he didn't. He could have never let it out of his mind and taken care of it before it went that far by repenting and realizing he was thinking thoughts that were displeasing to God. He could have been honest about it when, after it happened, but he didn't choose to do that either. This corrupt seed so long ago grew unchecked and now it bears a bitter fruit. What seeds are growing in your life? What seeds are you watering today? What seeds did you water last week? What seeds, what are you you cultivating? What are you sprinkling around your life? You see, my life's a garden, but I got all good seeds except for this one little patch over here. This one, you know, I got got all, I got got tomato plants and I got zucchini plants. I got a good, good plants over here, but this one little patch. It's time to get rid of that one little patch. It's time to pull it out. You see, David in chapter 11 gives us a warning. I like it that it's here because it's a warning to us. There's a warning, there's, there's a warning shot over the bow, if you will. Here it is. I hope we heed it. I hope we see the warning that he's laid out for us. And I hope we're willing to take a look at our life and look. Is it sexual immorality? Is it pride? Is it lust? Is it love of money? What is it? What is it that's driving? Is there something there? Take a look at it. Before we close, as always, we're going to just take just a few minutes in prayer. And I want you to go before the Lord. We see David's humanity here, and I want you to expose yours as well. Because the truth is, we all fall short. While we've never committed murder, most of us hopefully not, the Bible says if you've hated in your heart that you have committed murder. The Bible says if you've lusted in your mind, you've committed adultery. Which is going to make us all guilty of this. It just hasn't gone as far as David's went. The question is, will we cut it off now or will we let it continue to grow? So let's go before the Lord and let him take a look at your heart. Father, we just come before you for a few minutes. And Lord, I just ask that we open up our heart. We take a minute of quiet time in prayer. And we ask you, Lord, is there something growing in my life that I've been watering, that I've been cultivating, that I've been... Not allowing you to remove father we're aware of the danger we're aware of the consequences if we don't take care of that instead may we remove it tonight and we not leave it to grow and to bear bitter fruit but may we take it out we replace it with something godly go before the lord now